This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Kings of the Podcast. It's another beautiful day in the neighborhood, DB, and uh, we are live from the Justin Auger Studios today, lined up with another great show, a fabulous guest. But first off, how are you doing, DB? Doing great, uh, Jay. You know, um, I'm starting to recognize most of the names of these studios, which is a a good thing for me. Yeah. So uh, who is Justin Auger is probably what some people are are thinking. Uh, Now, you know, at the 2013 NHL draft, the Kings took two players from Guelph, and why not? Uh, they took Dustin Brown and Drew Doughty from Guelph uh, many years earlier, and, you know, things seemed to work out okay. But the 2013 draft was not a good one for them. Their first pick was in the second round. They took Zekoff. Uh, he never played for the Kings. Their first pick, of course, was traded away to get Jeff Carter. Um, so not a good draft. Uh, no first rounder. Second rounder was Zekoff, who never played for the Kings. He was traded away. No picks in the third round. Their next pick was in the fourth round, and that was Justin Auger, and I'll explain the importance of that here in just a moment. So 2013, it, it just it wasn't a good draft for the LA Kings, Dennis. The, their first pick, they had traded away in the Jeff Carter deal the year prior. They had a, a second-round draft pick. They took uh, Valentin Zekoff. He never played for the LA Kings. At one point, they were really high on that player and then soured on him, and he ended up getting traded away. Um, they didn't have any picks available to them in the third round, again, because of trades. The next pick was in the fourth round, and that's where they took Justin Auger. I'll get back to him in a minute. They did have another pick in the fourth round. Had to mention this. That was Hudson Fashing. He had a great uh, World Junior Tournament for Team USA. He was eventually traded away, I believe, in the Braden McNabb deal. Broken by Mayor's Manor, by the way. Um, ironically, though, the best pick of that entire draft may end up being Dominic Kobalik, who actually refused to come to L.A. and eventually was traded away. He was taken in the seventh round. So the best pick of that entire lot happened to come in the seventh round. Um, Auger was what I would consider to be a Dean Lombardi special, Dennis. He was he stands 6'6", six, six, yep. which you know, I don't think Lombardi's ever met somebody over 6'5 that he doesn't like. Uh, Auger played right wing, and um, his 
first year in Ontario, which was his second year in the American League. So he had his first season in Manch, and then his second year was in Ontario. He scored 19 goals in the American League. So that was a good sophomore year. Looked like, hey, this is a project that's sort of panning out. He was eventually, a couple years later, called up to the LA Kings. He played two games in LA, only two. So obviously an obscure name in LA Kings history. And he's basically been in the ECHL ever since then, Dennis. So just a player that did not pan out. And as I mentioned, not really a, a great draft. But what's the tie back to today's show that you're wondering? Well, our guest today from Team Canada Management Group, he is one of the rare uh, management people that was a GM in both the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League. So two of the three stops in Canadian Major Junior. And of course, Mike Stuthers, former coach in Ontario, also one of the rare both leagues. Stutz was his coach, uh, Alan Miller's coach, the guy who's our guest today. He was uh, he was Millsy's coach when they were in the WHL. Um, but here's the thing. When Alan Miller was in the OHL, he was the GM in Guelph and then later for Sarnia. And uh, Guelph, it's important because he was the GM there from 1997 to 2003. And at the 2003 NHL draft, again, the Kings took one of his players, Dustin Brown. So there's there's the all the way back to Guelph. A lot of dots to connect today. A lot of dots on that one. That was a long road to to travel, Jay, to get to the end. But you made it. You made it to the end. I thought what we would do here before we bring him in, though, uh, in, in hindsight, uh, after reflecting upon our last show, I certainly appreciated Mikey Acemont coming on. It was interesting to get to know him and hear his backstory. And uh, he had a couple of funny quips, which I uh, appreciated, like I'm sure you did as well, Dennis. I just thought we would maybe slow down for a moment and explain the plan for the NHL's return to play because we sort of glossed over it uh, in, in the, I think it was the third period of the last episode. I'm sure that many of our uh, listeners probably are paying attention to what's going on and all the news that's out there. And of course there's conflicting news and the news is changing on a daily basis, but this is what we know is kind of the, the working plan as of right now is that the, the NHL will return in mid to late January. And we'll talk about the specific dates more in the third period, Dennis, as we talk about training camp, but the plan is to play about a 56, roughly 56 game schedule that would last from, uh, mid-January up until the end of May. And what they're going to do is to minimize travel for COVID reasons, they're going to uh, carve up the divisions a little bit. And so the Kings will play in a modified Pacific division, which will be rebranded as the Western division. And that would include the Kings, the Sharks, the Ducks, Vegas, the Arizona Coyotes, and then three new teams that would be imported into the division. So the Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver teams, they will all be part of the all-Canadian division. And then the the other two divisions will be largely based um, on the East Coast, uh, although Minnesota is not an East Coast team. They're, they'll be in that mix as well. And so four divisions, three in the United States, and then one division up in, uh, in Canada. And it's going to minimize travel. And uh, you would have four teams from each division that would ultimately end up making the playoffs, uh, apparently, because the wild card would sort of go away, uh, as we understand it, for, for this upcoming season. And just wanted to get your thoughts, Dennis, on that also. We talked a little bit about playoffs, but just in general, what do you think about the NHL doing this? Do you like it? Is it does it add even a little sense of fun, maybe, uh, in, in what's otherwise, you know, sort of a depressing era right now? Well, yeah, I think more games against Anaheim, Vegas and San Jose is a good thing. And fans have to remember, there's no interdivision play, right? The, the 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 West won't play the Central at all. You're going to play these teams in your division the entire season. So um, I think the, the rivalry, and John, you know, you always talk about rivalries. Rivalries are usually done in the playoffs, but if you're going to play these teams more often, and if you're going to trade off playing a Columbus on a Tuesday as opposed to playing Anaheim, I'd rather play Anaheim. So I, I think that um, it will dial up the rivalries. I think the the Edmonton Calgary games will be amazing, but for the Kings, 
I think we, I touched on this before, would have loved to see Minnesota in the division as opposed to St. Louis. That really kind of hinders this their the opportunity for a postseason bid. But I think it's a good thing. You have to really make an allowance to what's going on in the times right now. I think the key is that they're minimizing the travel. I think that we all want hockey back. So I think uh, more games against those division rivals will certainly be more entertaining uh, for the fans. All right, so that sort of sets the stage for uh, what people can expect. Obviously, Dennis, uh, we're all waiting for the official word from the National Hockey League in terms of when this is all going to kick off, but that's essentially the framework of what they're working on. Many other details will still need to be announced. Roster expansion is something that um, is allegedly coming, and there's going to be a Black Aces or a Taxi Squad, so we're still awaiting the details of that, and that's going to have an impact as well on the American Hockey League and, and the rosters of those teams. So a lot of questions still. We're getting answers, but still a lot of questions. And uh, speaking of questions, DB, on the other side of the break, next up we have Alan Miller. Millsy is going to join us after a little Motley Crew. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period, and uh, we're honored today to be joined by a member of the Team Canada Management Group that's putting together the World Junior Championship roster, uh, the group that's set to compete here in just a couple of weeks. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the the tournament and the teams, and uh, we had John Van Beesbrook on recently to talk about Team USA and thought it only appropriate to bring Alan Miller in to talk about Team Canada. Millsy, what's going on? Well, it's been an early morning here in uh, in Red Deer, first of all, guys, I'm I'm pleased to join you. Look forward to uh, to talking hockey, and uh, it's been an early morning here. We uh, we released seven players this morning, and uh, so uh, a tough morning, but um, it's uh, it's unfortunately part of the process of getting down to 25 players by tomorrow afternoon. Does it ever get any easier in terms of releasing those players just because once you've had the practice at doing it, you kind of know what to say and what not to say when you, when you think back to, you know, the first couple of guys. You've been with the program in the, at the U18s, and, you know, you've had teams that have won gold and silver and whatnot, but having been through that process of having to, to let, a, you know, a teenager to let a kid down, does it ever get any easier? No, uh, it, it gets worse, to be honest, John. It's... Uh... Uh, you know, especially now at the at the world junior level, I I, I think as tough as it is at the under eighteen level, uh, you know, and and you're you're dealing with elite athletes, you're dealing with great, you know, real good young players that are at these camps. I think at the under eighteen level, there there is some optimism. They 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 continue to have some runway in the program, mm-hmm. um, but when you start to deal at the world junior level, and you know, this morning. You know, we released 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds. There's a little bit of solace with an 18-year-old that they can take away just in terms of they've got another shot at it. Um, but when you deal with a 19-year-old who, you know, has, you know, watched this tournament uh, grown up, it's for Canadian kids, it's it's a goal to play on this team and be part of that Christmas tradition. It's, uh, 
it's real difficult. And, uh, and a lot of these kids, you know, haven't been through this. They, they, they're elite player um, and they haven't been cut very often. And uh, um, so, no, it, uh, it never gets easier. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, just for background purposes, some of our listeners, uh, unfortunately, wouldn't exactly know your background. So can you just give us a little bit of a brief overview? Obviously, uh, your day-to-day job is you're the general manager of one of the teams in the WHL there in Moose Jaw, but you're also involved, you've been involved with Team Canada before. I think this is your third go-around. Um, just tell us a little bit about how the progression from going from being a, a GM in the WHL and then how you get invited and participate with Team Canada and sort of what's led you to this point. Yeah, no, thanks. I've been uh, I've been fortunate to have, I guess it's about 32, 33 years in the game. Longtime GM in the OHL. Had an opportunity to manage Calgary's American League team in St. John, New Brunswick for four years uh, as part of the process. And I spent the last 10 years here in Moose Jaw. Uh, a number of years ago, Hockey Canada and the CHL decided to put um, a management group together at the under-17, under-18, and, and under-20 levels. Uh, where a CHL GM, one from each league, uh, would align themselves and, and lead their expertise and provide leadership um, at those three levels of the program of excellence. So a couple of years back, I was, I was fortunate to, to, to be asked uh, um, by uh, Hockey Canada and Ron Robinson, our commissioner here in the Western League, to, to be the WHL representative as part of that program of excellence management group. I started with a couple of years at the under-18 level and then put together the two Holinka teams. Uh, also was involved in the under-18 World Championships in, in Sweden a couple of years back. And then uh, uh, I guess I did an okay job, guys, because uh, they asked me to move up to the under-20 level. And uh, and uh, I, I'm i not sure this is exactly what I signed up for last February when they asked me to do it because of COVID and uh and uh, no selection camp in the summer, no seasons, no Canada-Russia series, all those things that uh, we put uh, put a lot of work in to put our team together. But uh, um, really honored and, and, and excited about the opportunity to work with our national junior team. Well, it's funny that you mentioned just a couple of those those tournaments because that's actually where I wanted to go next is what's the scouting process been like? I mean, obviously Canada has a, a treasure chest of riches uh, in, in, in all of the players, right? Some of the best players in the world. And so you have a large body to work with. And in most years you, you're starting, I think, you know, 80 to 100 players and trying to, to whittle it down. But you guys didn't have the Canada-Russia series. You didn't have the summer uh, tournament there that Team USA puts on where you get to play some exhibition games against the, you know, the same type of uh, uh, groups, all-star teams, you know, type of thing um, at the selection camp. And then, as you mentioned, the two of the junior leagues there in Canada, the Dub and, and the OHL, aren't even playing, and the Q has been somewhat limited right. as well. So just what's the scouting process been like, short of just telling us that, well, we watched a lot of videotape. What's the process been like to put the team together? Uh, well, it, we've watched a lot of video. I can't uh, not say that, John, to be honest. Um, you know, and, you, and you're bang on. This process started in April with, uh, uh, started out with 80 to 90 players. Um, you know, we've had a long process with uh, myself and, and our coaching staff. Um, you know, we also work with a, a CHL GM advisory group in each league made up of two or three general managers that we lean on their expertise and, and their knowledge of, of the players, which was, was obviously an important part of the process. Um, we had a, a, a number of player personnel calls leading right up to 
Um, you know, the recent weeks when we got together for our camp, a um, lot of discussions, a lot of valuations. Um, and I think, and then, you know, you saw what we did with, uh, you know, essentially what was a 51 day camp, um, you know, with, with 46 players, a bigger group, a longer camp, um, because we really needed to not only select the team, um, but we also had to, to, to start to be able to prepare our players who haven't played a meaningful game since March to be ready to play at the world junior level, uh, on boxing day. So that was, uh, that was a big part of the process. I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's been a challenge. I, I, you know, I've been around the program and, and part of the Canada Russia series and, and working with Mark Hunter last year to put that team together. And, you know, overall, all those years being a CHL manager, um, you know, there's always guys that pop, whether it's at the summer camp, whether it's at the Canada Russia series or during the season, there's someone that pops, finds their way to the December camp and finds their way onto the team. And I, and I would bet that, that there's somebody out there that if they had the opportunity, you know, may have gotten uh, onto this team or got to the camp. But we really had to look at our body of work. And, and I think the one thing that really helped us is, is that between myself and, and our coaching staff, um, a lot of experience with this 2001 and 2002 age groups. Uh, Andre Tournier coached the 2001 Halenka team uh, in Edmonton. Um, Michael Dick, who's one of our assistant coaches, coached the 2002 age group for the Holenka Gretzky. Um, Mitch Love, Jason LaBarber, our goalie coach, um, were part of our staffs at the Holenka. They were part of the World Junior staffs last year. Um, so that familiarity with the players has been real valuable. And we've worked together. Andre and I, in particular, have worked closely together. Um, and so the familiarity as a management group, as a coaching staff, not that we didn't challenge each other, not that we didn't have the odd debate, not that we didn't have the odd heated debate, because uh, that's that's part of the process. Um, but the familiar, familiarity and being able to collaborate with people that we know well, that we trust, and we've worked with before, I think um, gave us some confidence in the process with uh, the understanding that, you know, the number of live viewings was, you know, um, you know, very, very few. And, and even once we got into Red Deer, you know, our plans obviously took a, uh, a you know, a real curveball when we got shut down for 14 days. Now, on a lighthearted note, you mentioned the program of excellence, and I'm a stickler for detail. I probably would have thrown Jason LaBarbera off of my uh, coaching st uh, staff just because on attention to detail level, he wore a mask one time with a, a pro wrestler, CM Punk, that he had painted on his mask, and it looked like a three-year-old had drawn that uh, uh, picture. It looked nothing like CM Punk, and so it was very embarrassing that he had to go out there on a nightly basis and wear that, that mask uh, that did not properly depict him. So for that reason alone, I would have thrown him off the staff. Other than that, Jason's a great guy. Um, I don't know if you get that reference or not, but believe me, it's a 10-star it's a, it's a uh, reference. Um, what about the scouts? Uh, you know, okay. obviously, <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about, John? This has nothing to do with Team Canada. I get it, but just, just go with me on it. Uh, um, we have... Uh, I got it. Okay, good. What about the scouting side of it? Because obviously being, you know, primarily focused on on the dub, uh, that's your day-to-day -day job, you know, um, and I understand being involved with Canada for the last couple of years, you get to see a lot of these other players and whatnot. But um, I would imagine that a scout like uh, Brad McEwen, you know, that's somebody also that you lean on in his his notes and his, his uh, body of work, if you will, um, to gather more information about some of these players. 
Yeah, and Brad was an integral part of the the, the start of our process. And, um, you know, Brad uh, leads the charge with a, a number of regional scouts in, in Ontario, Quebec, and, and the West. Um, and in terms of, you know, putting together the uh, the whole gambit of, of players from the under-17 to the under-18 uh, to the under-20 level. Um, so when we got the process up and going, um, you know, Brad was a big part of it. But, you know, Brad has since left Hockey Canada and joined the Vegas Golden Knights. So that was another challenge uh, along the way. And uh, I'll be that, you know, Brad continued to, Brad and I have become good friends over the years, going back to when I first came into the West. And he was the general manager of the Medicine Hat Tigers. Um, so Brad has continued to be a tremendous resource for me um, along the way here. But um, uh, it was another little bit of a challenge, um, you know, when Brad made the decision uh, to leave. But uh, like I said, he, he helped us out along the way. And, and even as recently the other day, as I was starting to get down to some, you know, final roster decisions and some final cuts, I, I reached out to Brad once again and spent some time with him because he's, he's got a great eye for talent. and. And he's a quality, quality guy. And, uh, um, you know, I treasure his, uh, uh, his professionalism and, uh, and friendship here. He's been a big help. Yeah, for sure. You, you always want to rely on the scouts. Their, their book of knowledge and, and base of information is, is pretty fascinating. Um, you, you mentioned the sort of recent break that you guys had to take before camp was able to, to gather up again. I'm just curious, uh, was there anything new that you, that you learned or that you developed or that you were able to do during that time period? Just, you know, something that you can walk away from it and say, hey, we turned a negative into a positive? Yeah, you know what? I think... Uh, um, when we first got the news that, um, you know, so first of all, we had the staff member test positive and, and, and then we had nine additional staff members go into isolation. Um, and, and then a few days later, we had the two players test positive, And then we found out that our camp was sh- shut down for 14 days. And, and, and I think what I, I think what we saw was, you know, first and foremost, it was kind of like, you know, there's some disappointment, especially when you're you, you're sharing the information with the players. I think there were some, you know, oh no's, what do we do now? And but I, I can honestly tell you that the the spirit of our group, our staff, and our players just really turned on a dime within a couple of hours of us finding out, and um, really went to work. We we established committees, um, a food committee, a social committee, an entertainment committee. Um, the, the the Red Deer community rallied. Uh, and got 69 uh, exercise bikes delivered to the hotel. Every staff member and, and player had a bike in their room. Our strength and conditioning coach uh, led workouts in the morning on Zoom. Um, we had a great lady here in Red Deer um, lead us with yoga classes and spin classes um, throughout our quarantine period. Um, and we did a ton of things. We talked hockey in the afternoons. We showed video um, we talked about our values, players presented our values. Um, and then at night we had some fun, you know, we had, uh, some of the, uh, the, the, some of the Canadian iconic, uh, celebrities, musicians, uh, hockey players, motivational speakers join our group. We had a comedian one night and, and, and I guess my point, John is, is just that the, the quality of people that we have here, the players, the way, the way we rallied, um, uh, the way we made it fun, I, I think our group really came together. I think we're going to come out of this, and, and you can kind of see just an added camaraderie. I think we're stronger. I think we're better. I think we're 
were more united just because uh, of the way everybody had to take care of each other over a 14 day period. Um, and I think as much as that, it's a, you know, a little bit set back on the ice. Um, I think there's some positives that come out of it. And, uh, and as you guys know, um, you know, Canada, the world juniors is what it is. We, we, we only like one color that that's always <laughs> the goal. And it's, and, and we make it very clear that, uh, just because we got shut down for 14 days, uh, our expectations don't change. And our plan is to go into Edmonton and defend our gold medal. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as we're getting into the more difficult portion here and trying to whittle down the roster, I'm just curious, what's the overall focus? Uh, as we said earlier, you have you know so much talent at your disposal. Is, is the goal here to sort of create a roster, the best players, just raw skill, or is there a focus on fitting you know, sort of particular roles and elite checking line, stuff like that. What's, what's the philosophy as you get down to the final couple of cuts here? Yeah. You know what we, you know, we start with, with the best players and, uh, um, you know, and we, you know, we work towards, you know, what our group looks like. Um, you know, we, we want skill. Um, that's, uh, that we want skill. We, we want smart and we want to play fast. And I, and I think, you know, most teams say that, um, that, uh, you know, but, you know, with our group, when you, you know, we have, we have 19 NHL first round picks here at forward. So you think about that five NHL first round picks aren't going to make this team. So, um, at one point you kind of think, well, it must be easy to put it together. Well, it, it, it can make it even more challenging when you have an, an abundance of, of quality players like, like we do, uh, at this point. So, I think John, just to, you know, we start with how we want to play. The coaches are involved in that. Um, you know, we want to have skill. We want to play fast. Um, you know, we want to play the game hard, you know, fast, hard. We want to be competitive. And I think as we go through the lineup, um, you know, we do have those discussions in terms of, you know, what, what does our power play look like? What do the two units look like? What does our PK look like? The two units, you know, who brings what? Um, when we get down to some of our final division, the decisions we kind of evaluate in terms of the makeup of our team, you know, the balance of skill, the balance of competitiveness, you know, having a little bit of, uh, of a grind on your team. Um, and you can kind of, if it's, if it's, you know, kind of a toss up, then you can start to look at, um, you know, who fits, who can bring something that maybe the other guy can't. Um, and, and like I said, with, particularly the group we have up front. Um, it's going to, we got one more game here tonight before we got to get down to 14. We've got 20 forwards remaining in camp. Um, we still got some tough decisions to make on probably the final three or four spots. Um, and then on defense, um, you know, we've got six NHL first round picks uh, on our back end that, uh, that have all put themselves in a pretty good position to be on this team. Um, after that, to fill out seven and eight, we've got, you know, probably three players that we've got to make a tough decision to get uh, get down to those final two spots. Um, and then we released two goaltenders today. So we're setting that for going with uh, uh, Devin Levi from Northeastern, uh, Taylor Gauthier from Prince George, and Dylan Duran from the Kamloops Blazers. So that's kind of how the, the process or how we've tried to put it together and uh, and where we're at as of today. Yeah, the coach last night after the scrimmage was very complimentary towards Gautier, so sort of had to figure that he was going to be uh, one of the goaltenders. You, you mentioned um, 
at forward, though, let's, let's hone in a little bit on two players specifically that are near and dear to the hearts of, of people here in Los Angeles. One of those first-round picks at forward, of course, is Quentin Byfield. Now, he was part of the team last year, had more of a secondary role, uh, but all expectations are, including from him, we had him on the program about a month ago, he expects to play a much bigger role this year in terms of being a leader uh, on this team. And I'm just curious, sort of your, your scouting report, if you will, on Quentin Byfield. Yeah, you know we we have uh, we have high expectations for for Quinton with our team this year, and uh, and uh, and I know that Quinton has uh, the, the same of himself. He, you know, he probably falls into that category with uh, you know Bo Byram, Dylan Cousins, and and obviously Kirby Doc. That you know, in a normal year, we we weren't sure if they'd be here or not. And I'm sure Quinton, you know, is going to get a long look at uh, long look with the Kings when. Uh, the opportunity presents itself, and the NHL gets gets up and going. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, Quinton is a special, uh, unique package, um, and you guys have probably heard this from from the Kings and that through the whole draft process. When you when, when you just look at his size, when you look at his skating, um, when you look at his puck skills, um, playing down the middle, I think. Uh, um, you know, those type of players at that size uh, don't come along often. And, and I'm sure, you know, that's why the Kings were so excited to get them at, at number two. I, I think for, 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 for us with, with Quinton and the makeup of our group, we're real strong down the middle. Uh, whether you talk about, uh, you know, Cousins, a Doc, a Byfield, a Newhook, um, a Zari, a Holloway, um, um, obviously they all can't play the middle. And I think the challenge for our coaching staff and something that they've been experimenting on is like, you know, who plays the middle, who goes off to the wing? Does, you know, does a, does a doc and cousins play together with doc going to right wing, you know, does Byfield stay in the middle and get complimented with a McMichael or does Byfield go to the wing? Uh, does Krebs go to the wing? So there's, there's, there's a lot of, of different scenarios we could look at. And, uh, but our expectation is, is, you know, Quinton to be a real important player for us. We're going to want him to, uh, play big, um, drive the net, um, bring his experience from last year that although it was limited in terms of ice time, he was there. Uh, he was around the group. Um, he saw what a Barrett Hayton did as a captain. Um, he was around a winning group that went through some adversity, um, and found a way to win a gold medal. And, uh, our expectations are Quinton takes a significant step with, with this year's team and, and brings that experience that he's, he's garnered from um, last year and the World Juniors and now going through the, the draft and, um, you know, fit into that upper echelon of our forward group wherever he's best suited to, to help us win. So let me lean on you a little bit here, Millsy. Everybody expects Byfield to be in the top six, whether he's at center or wing. You talked about the defensive side of things, though, and some of the guys that are fighting for those those final couple of spots. How is it that Jordan Spence is still a bubble player at this point? He's rookie of the year in the queue. He's defenseman of the year in the queue last year. He seems to fly under the radar. Tell us a little bit about Jordan Spence. Yeah, Jordan's been good. I think, um, um, you know, he brings a... Um, you know, he brings a, a strong, um, you know, offensive game. I think, uh, um, uh, he's, he's a real good puck mover. Um, he certainly put himself, uh, uh, into the mix here in terms of, uh, uh, our final couple of spots on D I would, 
say to you that uh, uh, tonight is an, an important game for uh, a number of our players, including Jordan. Um, but he's he's he, he he's in the mix, John. He's he's it's a, it's 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 a tight group. Like I said, when you when you go through Byram to Drysdale, Harley to Gooley, Snyder to Barron, um, and and then you get into some. Uh, some some real quality players that that, that Spence is a part of. Uh, you've got Korzak, uh, you've got uh, Devin Sabrangle, Lucas Cormier, um, and we lost three pretty good defensemen uh, earlier this week in terms of, of unfit to play. Um, I think Jordan presents himself as a guy that uh, um, you know brings something that at the end of the day um, you know may be important to our team. Uh, again, it kind of kind of look at the, the makeup of our our, our D group, and, um, and maybe he can bring something at the end of the day that 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 we may need along the way. Um, quality kid, he's a good player. Um, I can tell you, he's had a good camp. We like him, and um, we got a tough decision to make uh, sometime late this evening on uh, uh, on our entire group in terms of getting down to our final twenty five. Alan, you touched on this previously, but I want to go over one thing. Um, you're a hockey lifer. Um, it's one thing to be the GM of Moose Jaw. It's entirely another thing to be the GM you got to win. And you have to answer questions about, will Alexis Lafreniere play? Will you invite Connor Bedard in um, as well? But what's yeah. the experience of being in the chair where you're so visible um, to a nation in the hockey world in general. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's 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 a great great question, Dennis, and and a great analogy in terms of. Um, and I, I could I I could tell you a little bit of a of a quick story. And uh, um, the first time I was on the program uh, of excellence, uh, uh, named to the group, and and we had somebody at under seventeen, under eighteen, and under twenty. And, and Hockey Canada management kind of walked us through kind of the three phases and, and our roles. And, and uh, we spent a lot of time on under 17 and talked about development. Um, so that conversation was probably, uh, you know, 10 minutes. Then we got to under 18. And, and again, we took it a step further in terms of, of development and, and winning and, and so forth. And that was probably six minutes, and then we got to the under twenty team, and it was it was ten seconds, <laughs> just in terms of you know, like you said that, uh, um, and I mentioned it earlier about the the only the one color, and 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 the goal of the under twenty program is is to win world championships, and um, so for me, um, you know, like like I have been a, a lifer, spent most of my time as a manager in the CHL. I, I can tell you that that you know I was a little bit involved in, in some of the conversations way back when um, you know when you saw what the Hockey Canada started doing at the Olympic level with you know Gretzky and, and Iserman and, and, and these guys managing teams at the Olympic level um, World Cup level World Championship level kind of some conversations you know why don't we do that at the CHL level and uh, um, so for me um, you know, to get that opportunity and, and, you know, I'm 53 years old now. Um, you know, I don't know what my next steps in the game would be. I'd, you know, be very happy to continue doing what I'm doing and as long as I can. 
Um, so, so really there's a pinnacle there for me that, you know, spending so much time in the CHL and getting an opportunity to manage a, a world junior team. So, um, I take it real seriously. Um, a lot of pride in, in, in being, in being part of it. it it's certainly an honor. And, and I think, you know, over the years of doing this, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, you know, whenever you're managing a team at whatever level and whatever community you're in, whatever decisions you make, they're, they're front page. Um, uh, you hire a coach, you fire a coach, you make a trade, you're, you get involved in the draft. Um, and, and you develop thick skin. And, uh, um, because, you know, I've said it before, we could go, we could go 68 and 0 in the season and win the Memorial Cup and, and somebody would think we did something wrong. <laughs> it's just the way people, uh, people are at times. So, um, you know, I, I, I love the, I love the opportunity. I love the pressure. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, we've got some riches here in Canada in terms of the group of young players. Like I said, some people might think that makes it easier. It doesn't make it easier all the time because it, it brings difficult decisions. But really enjoying this, working with great people, and uh, absolutely, uh, you know, thrilled to be part of it. Now, Alan, you mentioned the abundance of talent you have. And it's one thing to make a call to a kid to say, okay, you're, you're just not at the level that we need to compete on a team. But in this unusual year, what's it like to call up a kid and say, you're not fit to play because of COVID and sending him home? Terrible. It was, uh, Tuesday night was, uh, was, was very, very difficult. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and you guys may be aware, I had to, had to deal with one of my own players in, in that situation, Damon Hunt, that plays for me in Moose Jaw. And, um, yep. so, um, you know, that was as, as tough of a, a thing to deal with because, you know, it, it wasn't hockey related. Um, you know, we had these tremendous young men coming out of a 14 day quarantine period, um, and, and finding out that they were, they were unfit to play based on the protocols. And, uh, so, um, you know, I think, you know, for example, when we talked to Damon Hunt and Ridley Gregg, as 2002s, they're going to get another crack at it. Um, right. But Matthew Robertson, who is a second-round pick to the Rangers, plays for the Edmonton Oil Kings, it played play for us at uh, Linker Gretzky a couple of years ago. Um, this guy is a great kid and, and, and had a legitimate chance to play on our team. And he doesn't have any more runway in the program. This, this was his last shot. And for his last shot to come... Uh, under this, these circumstances was, was heartbreaking. And, uh, and, you know, all I told him at the end of the day, I had a chat with him out front. Uh, he's fairly vocal here. His dad came to pick him up, had a chat with him out front. And, you know, he really just keep your head up and, and you've got a great career ahead of you. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, but it was, uh, it was emotional to be honest, guys. It was emotional. And, uh, and, and very difficult to uh, to deal with that. And one more for me, Alan. Um, um, compare this. You mentioned you have 17 first round draft choices on this team. The the skill level today versus 2015. Um, uh, and you've been around the this age of player for a very long time. Can you compare five years ago to what you have today? 
yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think this group, um, I, I just, I, I think across the board, it just seems to me that, 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 that every, every year that goes along, um, um, that the players are just, uh, they just seem to be doing more. They just seem to be, um, more ready, bigger, stronger, faster. Um, you know, these guys have had an extended off season. Um, like I can tell you, like we 14 days in quarantine, uh, got on the ice Tuesday, two teams each practice twice. Um, we had a game last night that was fast, like the, 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 the pace, um, kind of slowed down a little bit late in the third, but the, the pace of the game was, was real good. Um, uh, you know, it, it, so, um, I, I think that, uh, I, I think just as, as, as time goes on, um, you know, the, 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 these players, just, the the resources that they have, um, um, the, the way they, they, the, you know, who they're surrounded with in terms of, um, you know, whether it's through their NHL team or, you know, skating coaches, strength and conditioning people, nutritionists, um, you, you know, you guys know about the business of the game and, uh, and, uh, but these guys, they just, um, like I said, they, they seem to get better every year. The, the skill level and the speed is, is, is impressive. And, uh, um, and I, I, to be honest, I, I know we've got a lot of work to do and, and, uh, after tomorrow I'll be, you know, be able to turn the 25 guys over to the coaches to, to start to get them, get them prepared. But, you know, I can honestly say just in terms of, um, the way players prepare now and, and their conditioning and all that, um, when you consider the time off that they've had and, and the length of time that they haven't played a meaningful game, we've been generally fairly impressed with the way these group of guys have come into camp and including men getting shut down for 14 days. So it's, uh, it's fun to watch. Now, Millsy, you've done a, a great job here on your first appearance on Kings of the Podcast, and we appreciate you uh, giving us some time. I just have one more thing to ask you about, though. We've spoken a number of times through the years, uh, and we were first put together by Mike Stuthers, of course, and uh, so thanks to Stutz for, for making that happen a number of years ago, and he, he gave me all the warnings, right? You know, don't call you Al. You don't like that. Either call you Alan or go by Millsy, which I guess is basically what everybody calls you. Um <laughs> But what I didn't yeah. know, what I didn't know, because see, when I've talked to you in the past, it's always been that I'm looking for information about players. And so in putting together my research on you so that we could have you on the program and talk about you, what I didn't realize is that we almost met up face to face a number of years ago. I heard you came to town. You came to Los Angeles to see Motley Crue's final show ever. Uh, and from what I understand, you are a huge Motley Crue fan. And, and the, uh, the quote that was given to me was that uh, you love going to concerts and that you've probably seen more performers than Dick Clark doing bandstands. So uh, tell us about your, your, your love for music and Motley Crue. And your dog is even named after Steven Tyler. So this is all great stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in Toronto in, in the 80s. Um, I was a, you know, teenager, 18, 19 year old in Toronto. And, and, uh, you know, the music scene just uh, was something special for me. And, uh, um, spent a lot of time downtown Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, clubs, and, uh, um, really, really enjoy that genre of music, whether it's Motley Crue, Aerosmith, uh, Metallica, 
um, Def Leppard. That's kind of, that's kind of my, uh, my, you know, what I, what I enjoy. And, uh, yeah, Motley Crue, um, um, I think, I think I'm up maybe around 47, 48 times. I've seen the crew. Fantastic. Um, so if any of the boys, if any of the boys are listening to the, the podcast, I'd, I'd love a shout out or give me a call sometime. <laughs> I'd love to chat with you. I, I've actually seen Motley Crue and Moose Jaw as well. They came through a couple of years back. Um, and, uh, yeah, me and my wife, uh, we had a real special, uh, um, special few days. We, with the crew's, uh, final three shows at Staples Center there uh, going back to the end of the year in 2015. We we came down. Um, we actually went, of the three shows, we went to the first and the final one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't go to the second one because we went to Ontario to spend time with Stutz and Judy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but the, the, the day of the final show, we just spent the day on the Sunset Strip, spent a lot of time at the Rainbow and, and walking around the whiskey and uh, uh, we had a great time and, and the show was unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, hockey and music and concerts for me is, uh, is a big passion. I, uh, um, I, uh, I get excited about game days and, and I get equally excited about, uh, a day going to a concert. It's, it's been a lifelong passion for me and, uh, my wife shares the same. So, uh, we've had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I, I was there for that final show as well, sitting second row. It was it was fantastic. Uh, I don't think I've hit 40-something shows for the crew, but uh, de- definitely several dozen uh, love Motley Crue and many of those other okay. bands that you mentioned there. But, I mean, what are you thinking? You gave up the 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 second to the last show to hang out with Stutz? Why would Stutz over Motley Crue? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think, John, you know what kind of a special person uh, Mike Stuthers is, is um, you know, he, he, he comes across as a, as a big gruff guy at times, but, uh, he's got a heart, uh, um, as big as, uh, uh, as big as anything. And, uh, um, you know, when Stutz coached for me in, uh, in Moose Jaw, um, him, him and his wife, Judy and my wife, Kelly became, uh, became very good friends. Um, so, um, yeah, as much as I would have went to all three, I was, uh, um, <laughs> We really wanted to. We really wanted to get out to Ontario, see where they were set up, and spend some time with them. I, it was great for me because I got an opportunity to hang out at the rink that day, and um, um, not to go on and on. I'm sure there's a time limit on your show, but uh, oh, go right ahead. Um, you guys, you, you you guys may not uh, know this. I, you know, when I was the GM in Guelph in the OHL uh, in '98, we won the OHL championship and we lost in the Memorial Cup final in overtime to Portland. And my captain was Chris Height, oh. and uh, uh, so Heider was Stutz's assistant coach. Uh-huh. And so when I got to the rink, um, Chris's dad, Bill, uh, was on the ice with uh, Chris's kids. Oh. Um, so it was uh, it was real special to connect with Chris, and uh, who is also is a quality quality uh, uh, person, and uh, see Chris's dad, Bill, and, uh, and spend some time with them. So. Um, it, it was, it was worthwhile to fit the, the, the visit into with Stutz and Judy between, uh, Motley Crue shows. 
All right, I'll give it up for you. That's that is true. Stutz is a great guy, and with the connection to Hyder, that all that all makes sense. And you hit two of the three, so not bad there. Uh, unfortunately, you probably won't get to fifty shows though, because I think the crew is done. But uh, we'll we'll have to wait on that. For now, though, let's turn our attention back to hockey. We'll just leave you with this. And uh, thanks again for your time today, Millsy. It's been fantastic talking to you, and uh, really appreciate the insight you've you've given us into the whole Team Canada process. Now, uh, I'll leave you with this, and that is. The Kings are trying to get to 11 players at the World Junior Championships. Of course, three players on Team USA and then hopefully two players on Team Canada as part of that 11. So, uh, you know, just make sure that uh, Jordan Spence makes the final cut, okay? Just, uh, you know, with all due respect to some of the other players, let's get Spence on the team and then that'll that'll help towards the 11, okay? I'm, uh, what I'll tell you is that, uh, like I said earlier, he's uh, he's a good player. And you're right, John, he probably is a little bit uh, of an under-radar guy when you look at his pedigree with Moncton in the Quebec League and and um, Rookie of the Year, and he had a hell of a year last year uh, uh, in terms of, of production. Um, he's certainly in the mix, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to our final game tonight to, uh, to put our final roster together. So we'll see how it goes. All right, Bilzy. Enjoy the next uh, couple of weeks. Enjoy the tournament. My favorite time of the year, World Junior time. Can't wait for it. 12-25, the tournament opens. 12-26, Team Canada, game one. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Great. Thanks, gentlemen. I had a blast. Anytime. I'll, uh, anytime you, you want to connect, um, be happy to join us. There you go. Alan Miller of Team Canada. We'll be back after the break to talk more. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, DB, coming back for the third period here, fresh off of that uh, conversation with Alan Miller. Just uh, some quick reaction. What do you think about uh, Millsy and, and Team Canada here? Well, your campaigning for Jordan Spence didn't go as great as I think you thought it would go. So we, we'll see. What <laughs> He's not going to tip his tonight. hand on the program. Uh, you know, maybe tomorrow <laughs> after the cuts, but uh, not a, not on the pro. But I wanted to get that one final push in, Dennis, just to put a scene sure. in the back of his mind. Come on, man. Jordan Spence plays in the queue. Nobody talks about the queue. Everybody talks about right. the OHL. Everybody talks about the dub. Let's go. Let's get this kid some some pub and uh, try to see if the Kings can get up to 11 players in the World Juniors. It's more fun, Dennis, when the Kings have more prospects because then oh, yeah. almost every game matters, right? Right. Every game's watchable. And just, I wish every NHL GM was as transparent as Alan was. So yeah, <laughs> right. definitely transparent. And he, 
he, he wanted to talk to us for sure. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a great guy. Um, he didn't bite on the CM Punk uh, reference, and that's okay. He said he got it, so that that's good. But uh, that will forever stick in my craw when it comes to uh, when it comes to Jason the Barber. I don't know if you've ever seen the picture, DB, but it really is. It's a horrible picture and looks nothing. Like, I think you with a pencil and a crayon could draw a better picture of CM Punk. But and I'm a uh, terrible artist, John. Well, and you still could do better. So that 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 says enough there um, about that. I'm sure some one of our listeners will will tweet out uh, the the photo of it, uh, and you can take a look at it. Um, Dennis, it, it's such an interesting time right now because um, it, these these people in the management roles, John Van Beesbrook, Alan Miller, and all these people that are in management roles for these uh, uh, different countries, 10 of them that are trying to get ready to compete for the World Juniors, they're getting thrown curveballs left and right. So it's been an all-year process of curveballs. It's not just like, hey, let's throw COVID at you. Hey, let's cancel this tournament. Even while they're trying to prepare for camp, they're being thrown curveballs. And um Man, I, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, he, he started to touch on it a, a moment uh, for a moment there, but the, the emotion uh, of talking to some of those players that this is the end of the road, uh, it has to be a tough conversation. Yeah, and not only that, John, but, you know, the hockey world is more focused on juniors because the NHL hasn't started. Normally, we'd be playing the NHL season and maybe some eyeballs would be on it, but now this is really only – this is the first – legitimate hockey that's going to go forward. So I just think that the exposure for these guys like Van Breesburg and Miller are just really much dialed up as opposed to a normal year. But what's normal these days? Yeah, well, you know, one thing that is normal, DB, awkward transition, is that Christmas is coming. And uh, if you're looking for the ultimate stocking stuffer for this holiday season, look no further because our sponsors over at Manscaped, they have the tools to make you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products. And uh, the great news, as we've been talking about, they're not only available here in the U.S., but also available in Canada and Australia and other countries as well over in Europe. So, uh, you know, DB, we we love the products. We've talked about them quite extensively. Um, Some of the stocking stuffers that are available for our listeners would be the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, the Crop Cleanser, the Foot Duster. That's right. They have foot deodorant as well. Get get, uh, rid of those stanky feet that some of you guys have. The Shears 2.0, which is their four-piece nail kit and a lot of other stuff including the lawnmower 3.0 we all love the ceramic blades with that anti-cut technology and then the led light right db oh yeah and john you know tonight's the first night of hanukkah so you got eight nights you should hustle right now you can still get this product uh, before the end of hanukkah you know for our jewish friends out there and obviously i'm celebrating tonight as well so but yeah the led light john I think it should be DB trademark, to be honest with you. I've talked about it so many times. It should be. It should be for sure. So um, for all of our Hanukkah listeners and Christmas listeners as well, get uh, 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the code KOTP2020. Remember, that is only good for a few more weeks. So whether it's for your partner, your dad, your brother, your friend, get something that they will actually use, and uh, you'll probably get a laugh out of it as well. It's a great product with some uh, interesting collateral material that comes inside their packaging. so head over to manscaped.com, get 20% off plus free shipping. And then a real quick note also, as we mentioned on last uh, program with Mikey Isimont, 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 we, uh, it's like Robert Lang Lung Lung. We have, um, we've started a contest. You go to mayorsmanner.com, you fill out your name and your email address, and you can win the Shears 2.0 and a t-shirt. That contest will run through December 31st. And if you retweet 
uh, any of the programs and or uh, tag us on Instagram and Facebook and, and try to get uh, some, you know, get the word out about Kings of the Podcast, we'll give you an extra entry into the contest. That is an exclusive to the listeners of the show. We're not going to promote that. You only know about that if you listen to the show. A couple of other quick news and notes items, DB, before we wrap up today. On the American Hockey League front, it looks like they're targeting about a 44-game schedule. Um, they're still working to get started around February 5th, which is their, their target date for uh, the season to begin. And they plan on going until about the end of May and uh, not that surprising games will be played within their division uh, right. and what is interesting though is that they are doing an all Canadian division like the NHL is doing however you have the Oilers of course they're in Edmonton and their AHL team is in Bakersfield the thought was they would move to closer to home so they would be able to you know have access to players with the border issues and no from all indications at least at this point they plan on leaving their AHL team in Bakersfield, and Calgary plans on leaving their AHL team in Stockton. Why would you? But anyway, uh, so that means that the Pacific Division, of course, which is the San Diego Gulls, the Ontario Reign, as well as Baco and and uh, San Jose and uh, the aforementioned Stockton, so they would... I mean, they all play each other anyway, so it's going to seem like a regular season. There, there's not a lot of games. There are not a lot of games outside of the division in a normal season. Um, so the schedule makeup won't look that different. But I, I was actually really surprised to see that Edmonton and Calgary are going to leave their American League teams uh, here in California. I'm not sure how that's going to work for player access. I, I know we're talking about taxi squads and things in the NHL, but uh, still, more que- we're getting some answers, but still more questions, I think, DB, about how this whole thing's going to work in 2021. Yeah, I, I think there's two options here. One would be that would be a pure developmental team, right? Because you mentioned the 14-day. But in Alberta, they do have this rapid testing pilot program mm-hmm. where they do rapid test and you have a 48-hour quarantine. I'm not sure if that's still in effect. If it is, maybe that's a path to get these players up. But I agree with you. How can you recall anybody over the border if they got to sit in a hotel room like I did for 14 days? Well, on the NHL front, it sounds more and more like the NHL uh, training camp date, the date to begin for Los Angeles and the other six teams, the seven teams that were not part of the return to play. It sounds like their extra training camp will start on 1231. At one point, it was going to be two weeks. Then it became 10 days. Then it became seven days. Now it's down to about three or four days. So training camp for LA would begin on 1231. And then the rest of the NHL would begin training camp, it sounds like, on January 3rd. Now, nothing has been approved yet. This is all in place for a start date of January 13th. So that's interesting. And I do have a little bit of news to pass along on the LA Kings front, Dennis. And that is that uh, uh, Madden and Kapari are projected to be good to go for uh, training camp. Um, That's the word from inside the Kings. Holtz is a little bit limited at this point. Of course, we had Cole Holtz on the program, and he had talked about um, having surgery during the offseason. That's the word um, uh, that I've been getting. It sounds like that none of the European players, at least connected to the Kings, have been instructed to return home. They're still waiting to get the final dates, uh, but the Kings are sort of of the impression there's an eight-day isolation slash testing uh, protocol that's in place before they can do any organized participation. So you have to start to think that you know, 1231 start date with eight days of isolation. You can do the math backwards and sort of figure it out, add the travel time in there as well. We're getting down into sort of crunch time. If you just round it off at 10 days, uh, you know, and that's of course excluding, or, you know, guys even wanting to, to, to be in a certain location for Christmas. I mean, it all, but basically says that you can't stay. If you're a European player and your family's there, you can't stay in Europe for Christmas and still come here for camp on 1231. You'd have to be here by about 1221 in order to, uh, to isolate, um, right. 
in order to in order to get tested and everything before camp begins. So what a bummer. You'd end up missing Christmas with your family and you probably have been thinking all year during this weird COVID year, oh, wow, this is cool. If there's one benefit to uh, to this whole disaster of 2020, I'm probably going to get to spend Christmas with my family. Nope, sorry. And that was the one point that the players wanted. They didn't want to having to have training camp over Christmas. They wanted to be home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. They won't be home for New Year's, but, you know, that's the deal. Which is why I always had sort of heard, and, and maybe it was players pushing their own uh, agenda, if you will. Um, I had always heard that the season was probable more like January 25th, and that was because they were doing the timing working backwards of, okay, well, if we open camp around the 2nd or 3rd, uh, or excuse me, if we if we isolate and then we do the camp uh, closer to around the 10th and then we'd be able to open around the 15th, that's what they were thinking. But um, I guess not. At least that's, who knows? Nothing's been finalized yet, Dennis. And it change, It seems to change on a day-to-day basis, but the good news is it it's changing less and less. And it seems like we're, right. we're honing in on what appears to be a, a final decision. So the, the, the season is most likely going to start mid to late January. Training camps will open up in early to mid-January. And once we get those final dates, we will, uh, we will certainly pass it along. Dennis, after the World Junior Championships open up, um, I'm assuming that you're ready to go. And just think about this, that if those dates hold, if the camp opens on 1231 for the Kings and then January 3rd for everybody else, I do, once again, want to give a tip of the cap to Gary Bettman because he timed this perfectly. Do you know what... Uh, is significant about January 3rd compared to any of the other early days in January? It's an off day? It is an off day in the World Juniors. That's right. So January 2nd is the opening round of the playoffs. Everybody plays. Then there's an off day before the semifinals and the final. So perfect timing from a Gary Bettman perspective, the National Hockey League, January 3rd, a dead day. Uh, there's there's you know space in the World Junior calendar. What a day to open up training camps and to have the media sort of and fans pivot for one day to the opening of training camps because that's what happens at camp. DB, you know, you go to like opening day of camp and then right. we don't see you again for the for the rest of training camp. It's it's yeah. it's a big coming out party on day one and then poof, everybody disappears for a couple of weeks. And Jay, so I, I just think that's affirmation that Bettman got your texts. Well, to, to lay it up like that, right? 87 texts, Dennis. He was bound to get one of them. Uh, I'm still waiting for a reply. The good news is he hasn't blocked my number yet. Uh, so so that's there's that. I mean, we have that to work with. Uh, another outstanding episode, Dennis. Thanks again to uh, Alan Miller of Team Canada. Fantastic insight into uh, their whole preparation as they yes. get ready for the World Juniors. And fans and listeners, we certainly hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We have uh, more episodes episodes lined up for, for next week, so we'll be talking to you soon. And if you missed any of our recent episodes, including with Arthur Kaliev and Mikey Asimont, we do encourage you to go back and take a listen to those. We'll be back soon. Thanks, everybody. You know I'm a dreamer but my heart's of gold I had a runaway high So I wouldn't come home, no Just when things went right Doesn't mean they were always wrong Just take this song And you'll never feel left all alone Take me to your heart Feel me in your bones Just one more night
This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.